0: Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, of course, being Mother's Day, we dealt with the subject of Eunice as a a wonderful example of motherhood. I've been working on another passage of Scripture tied into some of the great women in the Bible. And I have to confess, I've been wrestling with it. I hadn't intended to turn to First Peter uh, until after Easter. Uh, but because I've been working in advance, uh, then I, I feel this morning, uh, tying into what we said last week, then we should begin to continue with our exposition in uh, First Peter. We've left it off from away before Christmas. And now we're returning to it again. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're only going to read the first seven verses. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Likewise ye wives. Be in subjection to your own husbands. That. That if any obey not the word they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold Or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God of great price. (laughs) For after this manner in the old time. The holy women also who trusted in God. Adorned themselves. Being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Calling him Lord. Whose daughters are ye. As long as ye do well. And are not afraid. With any amazement. Likewise ye husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge. giving honour unto the wife. As unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together. Of the grace of life. That your prayers. Be not hindered. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 7. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing uh, these verses of the Holy Scripture. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. And my subject today is the lifestyle of a Christian wife. Next Lord's Day will deal with the subject, the lifestyle of a Christian husband. But you see, in this epistle, Peter is giving out instruction for Christian wives and husbands. He knows that the individual family units are the building blocks in the structure of society. He knows that a healthy relationship between a husband and wife is really the cement that holds any family together. Now, let's just remember, if we can, the overall context of 1 Peter. If you want a theme for 1 Peter, living for God in a licentious world. Now, the problem of living for God In the middle of an ungodly world Is not exclusive to the 21st century From the very day that Adam fell in sin And us in him There has been a fierce conflict in the world Between God and the devil Between the concept of the principle of good and evil And also a conflict between God's people And the children of Belial In this ungodly world, true believers have always been at the sharp end of opposition and persecution. They have been hated and despised. They have been censored and criticized. They've been dragged to the courts for things that they have said and done. So, the Asher Bakery case and the stand of the MacArthur family for truth and righteousness on the 26th of March. Is not a new development. God's people have always lived in a hostile environment. Folks, that was true in Old Testament times. Think of Joseph, a godly young teenager. He's aged 17 years of age. He is saved and loves the Lord. He's an honest, mature, spiritual young man. He has a high regard for the things of God. He's a young man that put God first. That's the type of young men that we need in the church today. And he became a target for, of the ungodly, first of all amongst his own family. It was his brothers that hated him and put him in the pit. Think of him in Potiphar's house when he was falsely accused of adultery with Potiphar's wife. Think of his imprisonment. For 13 years he was in imprisoned. It's all tied into the will of God. The pit, Potiphar's house, the prison. It was the will of God for Joseph. From he was 17 years of age until he was 30. Think of the prophet Jeremiah. We often describe him as the weeping prophet. He was a tender-hearted preacher. A preacher who was very sensitive about sin. He was a faithful preacher of God's word. He, he told the people what God told him to say, even when they didn't want to hear it. How was he treated? How was he received? He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He, he, he was imprisoned as well. Why? Because people had turned away their ear from the Lord. Think of Daniel. He suffered wrongly at, at the hands of ungodly men. And ever since sin entered our world, this world has become a battleground for true believers. Come into the New Testament, think of the disciples. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were imprisoned, and then they were threatened. And glory to God, they did what our presbytery did on Saturday. They held a prayer meeting, and they cried in that prayer meeting, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants boldness that we may preach the word. And if ever was a day when the church of Jesus Christ needed to go to God and cry in prayer. It's an hour day. That's why we encourage you to come to the prayer meeting. You see, suffering for Jesus Christ and the gospel is not a new thing. It's not just for the 21st century. This was something that every Christian in every century had to face. Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Living for God in a licentious world will bring about persecution and opposition from within your family and from without. Living for God. Putting God first. Then you expect to be opposed. Expect to be despised and hated. Expect to be ill-treated. Just remember that we live in a non-Christian and a non-godly world. Times of persecution, opposition, Folks, they are inevitable. Opposition and persecution of God's people is as old as sin itself. Remember, this world is no friend to grace. It's no friend to God. We live in a wicked, sinful world. Now, when you face criticism, as you will, ridicule, and opposition, persecution... It's the duty and ought to be the delight of every true Christian, no matter what you face, to live for the Lord. In the midst of your trials and troubles and tears, there will come a temptation to compromise, to to draw back, maybe even to forsake Christ and the gospel. Because of some hard sayings, we read in John 6, that some disciples walk no more with him. They were mere professors. They truly didn't possess eternal life. Remember at the cross when he was being crucified, even his disciples, we read, forsook him and fled. They were fearful for their lives. Peter, remember, followed afar off. And we've got to realize that in the midst of trials and troubles and tears, there'll be this temptation to stop following Christ, to stop living for him. And how can we maintain Christ? a life of victory and be an overcomer in the midst of a hostile environment well, you see Peter gives us the answer here in chapter 2 chapter 2 towards the end of the chapter maybe from verse 11 to the end is all about living for God in an ungodly world and the great motive for living for God is the glory of the Lord itself we were asked recently by an RTE presenter uh, by the name of Brian O'Connell, why we took a stand outside the Mary Stoops Clinic uh, and opposed abortion. Uh, and Brian was told very nicely that, that we did it out of our love and loyalty for Jesus Christ. That ultimately our goal was the glory and the honour of God. You see, it's the glory of God itself that has to be first and foremost I'm living for God in the midst of all this. I'm living for his glory. That's my duty. That's my delight. And as I live for God, I will look to Christ. Because remember, he's the supreme example of suffering wrongfully in an ungodly world. And I will face these trials. I will face these troubles. I will face these tears because I love Jesus Christ. And I will look to him, and I will see that what I'm suffering is nothing in comparison to him. See, that's how you get the victory in the midst of your troubles. It's not gritting your teeth uh, in a stoic kind of manner. It's certainly not adopting uh, the power of positive thinking by Mr. Peel. It's not saying, well, I'm going to blot these events out of my mind and pretend they're not happening. It's to look to and to think of the person and work of Christ. He has chosen me from all eternity. He, he, he loved me enough to come into the world. He, he went all the way to the cross and bled and died for me. He kept the law of God perfectly for me. I, I am complete in him. I, I, I will consider him. I, I will look to him. He's my example, my patron and my suffering. Now that's the overall context. Now think of the immediate context. Look at the word in the text likewise. You see, Peter knows that as we live for God in an ungodly world, persecution and opposition and criticism and ridicule they're inevitable. Yet our duty and delight to live for the honour and glory of God comes about because we keep our eyes firmly fixed in Christ. And as we do that, this as- this impacts in every aspect of our life. Our life in the state. Our life in the workplace. Our life at home. Even a Christian wife. Married to an ungodly husband, she has to live out the Christian life in the home before her husband. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here in these first six verses. In any hostile environment, whether it's in the state, and that's what he brings in from verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king of supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Whether it's in the workplace. And he deals with the workplace in verse 18. And now he's coming to deal with the home. And he's saying, likewise ye wives. Be in subjection to your own husbands. Living for the glory of God. In a hostile world, by looking to Jesus, our duty and delight. Having given you the overall context and the immediate context, it's taken 10 minutes to do that. I want you just to think very quickly of the lifestyle of a Christian wife. And there's three things. Very simple. She lives a life of submission to her husband. That's the first thing. Look at the verse 1. Likewise, your wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. This is Peter's exhortation to wives. Here is her obligation to her husband. A wife is to be submissive to her husband. She is to recognise the authority of her husband. Now that's not something that goes down well today. That's something that fills the feminist lobby with anger and resentment, loathing, disrespect. Now remember, Peter here is continuing his discussion about subjection. There are seven references to subjection here in 1 Peter. He's already admonished them in 2.13 to submit to authorities. He's admonished at servants, verse 18, to be subject to their own masters with all fear, not only to the good and Gentile, but also to the froward. And now he's exhorting wives who submit to their own husbands. So it's in the overall context, likewise ye wives. The word subjection is a military term. It means to place yourself under authority. Now I want you to understand, this is not something that's exclusive to Peter. Uh, In um, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24, Paul says, Therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And also in the book of Colossians, in Colossians uh, chapter um, 3, uh, he, he, he says a, a, a very similar uh, thing about wives. And um, again he says it in Titus. And there's many other references. Wives may think, but that's unfair. That's unjust. I'm not going to do that because I don't like it. I want you to understand that that's God's standard for marriage. That's a key part of the will of God as a Christian wife. And we haven't time to open up all the references, but remember what I've already read. Therefore, as Christ is, as the church is subject unto Christ, and let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forth, and he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. This is a key component in marriage. This is God's standard for marriage. Now think with me very carefully of what it doesn't mean. (coughs) It doesn't mean a woman is less of a person than her husband. It doesn't mean that she's an inferior partner in the marriage. It doesn't mean, some wives think, I'm a doormat. I'm a slave. I'm a punch bag. You see, I get asked, what if he's bad to me, Reverend MacLeod? What if he beats me? What if he belittles me? We'll deal with that in a moment. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a woman's a doormat, a slave or a punch bag. It doesn't mean that she's to bow to her husband's every demand and desire. One of that demand and desire is a sinful desire and demand. That's contrary to the word of God. That Christian wife ought to obey God rather than men. And she has to tell her husband, no, I'm going to obey God. And I'm going to pray for the help and grace of God in this context. It doesn't mean that a husband can lord it over his wife. It doesn't mean that a husband can treat his wife unjustly or unfairly or be unkind. It doesn't mean that a woman's a robot that he pushes buttons on. We live in a day when many women, sadly, even in so-called Christendom, are treated badly. And there's bitter words. And there's brutal wounds. And there's a battle of wills. Now let's think, if that's not what it means, why did Peter say this? Was he just being chauvinistic? No. Why did he say it? Now we'll answer that. Because this is God's order in marriage. You see, remember back in Genesis 2, God Made Adam from the dust of the ground. So Adam stands first. He's the primary authority. He lived before Eve. Eve was taken out of Adam's side. Uh, Eve was brought by the Lord to Adam. God married them in the Garden of Eden. And what was God doing? Listen to me carefully. God was establishing a role for the man. He was also establishing a role for the woman. In establishing a role for the man, giving him responsibility, the husband was expected to show and give leadership. The husband was to be obeyed. He was to obey God primarily, he, he was to exercise authority. And the role for the woman, she was to be a helpmate. She was to uphold and help her husband in whatever way she can. And that's God's order. And it's enshrined by divine appointment. And it's there for the well-being of family life. Turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me and look with me at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. Sorry, it's verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ And the head of the woman is the man And the head of Christ is God Now here's the heart of the subject The head of Christ is God The head of the woman is the man And that was set out by God at creation And here it is affirmed in the Bible the wife is not the head. The wife has a different role and responsibility. Not a lesser role, not an inferior role, but a different role. When God built Eve from Adam's rib, God made and found a suitable helpmeet for Adam. A, a woman who was suitable for him. A woman who was, we got, we'll put it this way, compatible. To him. A woman who would complement him. A woman that would help complete him. For without the woman. The man is incomplete. And she would speak to him. And. We could say it this way. A man needs a woman to support him. To strengthen him. To succor him. To supply him. To speak to him. To advise and counsel him. In particular areas. Not to outwit him. Or outwork him. There's not in competition. She lives a life of submission to her husband. And if you want a a glorious passage of scripture to read, Proverbs 31 from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. You young ladies, find this afternoon Proverbs 31 and read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. For there's the picture of a godly woman. It's a beautiful picture. Someone has written a book entitled The Excellent Wife. I read it. I I can't remember the author. but, But it's a picture of a woman who lives for the honor and glory of God by living a life of submission to her husband. And all she does is for her husband and for her family. And she lives that way to the glory of God. And you think of her desire, her diligence, her delight, her discourse, her determination. It's all there. And the woman's very happy in that role. And her husband trusts her. And the husband treats her well. And the husband tells her things. And the husband has time for her. And the husband is truthful. She's happy and joyful and glad in that role. And that's the role that God has given her. She lives in that role to the glory of God. She rejoices in that role. It, it leads to joy and contentment. It, it's not a miserable lifestyle. That's a lie of the devil. She, she references in that role. She has a high regard for her husband uh, because she's just living in the fear of God. She receives in that role. She receives the praise and admiration of her husband. Her children rise up uh, and call her blessed in the Lord. She's not robbed of her independence. She's not put down. She's not made to feel inferior. She's glad and joyful. This is her God-given role. And she's fulfilling and functioning that role. We we live in a day of moral breakdown, uh, a day of family breakdown. And when things break down between a husband and wife, it impacts on the life of the children. And that greatly is troubling that's really concerning here's the lifestyle of a Christian woman she lives a life of submission to her husband Now, secondly and quickly she lives a life of sanctification before her husband if you go back to Peter there and uh, look with me at verses um, 2 and 3 and maybe even into 4 notice what's said there First Peter chapter three, verse two. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adoring of plaiting the hair, and putting on of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is great price. You see, this woman has a deep concern for her own personal holiness and purity. Note the word. While they behold your chaste conversation What does that mean? The word conversation means lifestyle Hence the lifestyle of a Christian woman How we conduct ourselves The word chaste means to be holy, clean, pure and modest Her life therefore is marked by personal holiness and purity Not just in her language, that's her talk But in her very lifestyle She's not a brawling woman Proverbs talks about that A woman who's unreasonable, irritable, impossible to please. She's not a bitter woman, demanding things all the time. She's certainly not a bad woman. Proverbs talks about the strange woman, the the adulteress. But but this woman has, has a chaste conversation. In other words, she's got a pure, holy lifestyle. And that's seen in the fact that she's modest in apparel... Her holy lifestyle reflects in her appearance, her outward adornment. She's not taking up the glitz and glamour of the world. She's not following the customs and the trends and the fashion set uh, out by Hollywood. This woman would dress modestly, not to attract attention primarily to herself for all the wrong reasons. We have to face the reality today that there are styles of clothing that are too revealing. Necklines are often too low, hemlines can be too high, clothes can reveal too much of a a woman's body. And no Christian woman, no godly woman, wants to dress like that. Because the fashion of the world is not really the dress standard of the child of God. The primary thought is, how does God want me to dress? Don't clothes say a lot about you? Reverend Colin Mercer wrote a book called Dress. And the key, the key has to be modest apparel. And this woman is modest in apparel. She's not decked, as Pastor Willie Mullen would have talked about. She's certainly not decadent. She doesn't major in outward appearance. Now, she's not dowdy. I'm not saying that you go about dowdy. She dresses to impress her husband primarily. She's got a name and an object in that. Notice it says here, not only is she modest in apparel, but she's modest in attitude. What's her desire? What's her mindset? Look at verse 4. The beauty of being a godly inner person. She yearns for the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, because that's of great price in the sight of God. The focus is on the inner man, the spiritual man. I was saying to Sammy on the way down, if you think of the Lord's Prayer, uh, it mentions um, a number of things. One of them is, give us this day our daily bread. And then it says, forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive uh, our trespasses as those against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you think of trespasses, temptation and evil, they're spiritual aspects to do with the soul. And there's only one petition in that prayer to do with the body. In other words, the 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 needs of the soul is is three times more important than the needs of the body, and that's exactly what this woman focuses on. She focuses on the inner man, and not the outer part. You see, he's urging these women to be different. He's urging them to be at odds with the world, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, or of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. These are things that the Greek women would have done They would have got their hair done They would have put little gold speckily things in through it And they would dressed in such a way That they were walking through the marketplace Everybody was looking And the thought was, look at me And Paul says, don't be like that Be modest, not only in apparel But be modest in your attitude Let your mindset focus on the inner man wasn't the testimony of the older woman he gives the illustration of Sarah he cites her as an example Abraham and Sarah's relationship was a wonderful example for for married couples today this was a home where there was harmony a home where there was uh, happiness a home where there was helpfulness why? because they were fulfilling their roles Abraham was fulfilling his role Sarah was fulfilling her role look at her mindset Um, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord And then he adds, whose daughters are ye? That is, daughters in the family of God. Through faith. This woman lives a life of sanctification before her husband. It's tied into holiness. Notice finally. She lives a life for the salvation of her husband. You see, if you look at verse 1 again... If any obey not the word They also may without the word Be won by the conversation of their wives The word conversation means lifestyle Okay So let's be clear in that You see That was the woman's chief goal She lived to see her husband saved And if you're a saved husband With an unsaved wife You live to see your wife saved And vice versa that's to be your goal. See, in the first century, the wife was expected to profess and follow the religion of her husband. And if he adopted the Christian faith, then she was expected to adopt the Christian faith as well. If a wife became a husband independently of her or, uh, sorry, if a wife became a Christian, independently of her husband, her husband would have viewed her as being unfaithful to him, unfaithful to his religious conviction. And that would have caused tension and trouble and problems in the home. And here's Peter, and he's counselling her in that environment. You submit to your husband, even if he makes your life miserable. And as you submit to your husband, aim to live to the glory of God. And keep your eye on Christ and on his suffering. And live with an eye and view to the salvation of your husband. That he might be won by your godly lifestyle. It's not only a reference to the lips. What she said. But it's a reference to her lifestyle. It's seen. Seen by her behaviour. And your behaviour can influence people. You can witness without words. The husband could see the woman's purity. The husband could see the woman's reverence. The woman could see her husband's respect. That they also may without the word be won by the lifestyle of the wise. Show obedient love to your husband. So that he may see in you a picture of Christ's love for the church. Let him see Christ in you. Let him sense Christ in you. You show forth the beauty of your Lord and Saviour. And that's not only true for wives, but it's true for every Christian woman, even single woman in the church, even the young woman grow up. You see, folks, let's be clear as we finish. Folks will not read their Bibles today. They're not reading theology books. They're not certainly reading books in Christian doctrine. But you know what they read? They read our lifestyle. They see us and they listen to what we're saying. And we should have the mindset that I'm so living my life at home or in the workplace or in society. So as others will see me reflecting something of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And they'll see something of the love of Christ see something of the life and purity of Christ that they may be one that there may be an opening for the gospel here's the lifestyle of a Christian woman she lives a life of submission because that's her role and responsibility she lives a life of sanctification just doing it to the glory of God she's got a modest apparel she's got modest in her attitude And she lives a life for the salvation of her husband. I trust that these few thoughts will be helpful. It'll be a blessing. I I don't want to spend any more time in opening up these six verses. Uh, There's loads of stuff here that we could nitty gritty go into. But but I trust that you'll have a broader picture of the lifestyle of a Christian wife. Next Lord's Day, we'll look at the lifestyle of a Christian husband just to give the balance so the wives will not think that we're picking on them this morning.